Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your favorite co-host of all time, really, uh, Nathan. How you doing, Nathan? It's an honor to be here as the favorite co-host. Another day, another podcast. Here we are. Oh, it's crazy how episode 50, right? It, yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know if it's an important number, but it's a round number. Yeah. 50 sounds good. It's halfway to 100. Yeah. Uh, it's still two digits, but it's halfway to three, so the math is a bit weird there. But I, I guess, but it, it's a nice right number, you know? You say someone's 50, and you're like, cool, you've lived half your life, even though life expectancy is like 70. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be hitting somebody up at 35. Yeah. Hey, you're halfway done. How's it feel? <laughs> like, I still feel young. Uh, that's where, I guess, the midlife crisis usually kicks in, and they buy a sports car or something, so... Right, yeah. I think that's more like 40, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, cool. We got to move get... it up now, right? Because people um, might not live as long thanks to all the stuff that's happening in the world. Because they're chonky monkeys. Basically, yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. So now that we got that sorted out, mm-hmm. uh, this is a podcast about <laughs> development? Is it software development? It's something. Something about tech. Uh, people living or dying is relevant to tech. So Yeah, yeah. This is not like actuarial tables or... No, no. This is not did better dev show. This is do better. Yeah, yeah. We're still in the process. We're still heading towards the primes. Yeah. Uh, not on the way down. Speaking of not going down, any <laughs> <laughs> exciting, cool, fascinating stuff that happened to you? Sure, I don't, I don't like that lead-in, but let's go with it. Uh, so, something cool, uh, the Studio Channel, which is one of the MKBHD side channels, they put out a behind-the-scenes on making their Tesla camera car, which was pretty cool. So, they talked about it or hinted at it for a while, and then actually released the video in the last few weeks. And all they did was they got one of the, uh, or they took, they were going to get a Cybertruck and convert that into be their camera car. But instead, they just took Marquez's old Tesla, because he has a new one now, the Plaid edition. Of course. And uh, they just mounted this rig to the top of it for shooting camera or car shots. So they can drive alongside, do rolling shots. They can drive beside a car, in their car. It's electric, so it's really quiet. Uh, and anyway, it was cool. It's short video. It's only like 10 minutes or something. But it was pretty neat. Something else that's cool is I have a Nintendo Switch now. Whoa, 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 whoa. And so I've been... It's, it's currently just a Smash Bros. machine. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing a lot of Super Smash Bros. And that game's still great after 20 years. I mean, they keep making new versions of it. Yeah. But the concept has not changed at all. Yeah. Uh, you just punch them. If anybody doesn't know how to play, they just mash buttons. They do okay for the most part. Uh, the the thing that's going to quickly become a problem, though, is that I keep playing it. And anybody I play with probably isn't going to. Yeah. So then the delta in skill level will be dramatic. Mm-hmm. So who knows? This might be, I was telling you earlier, this might become my new addiction. Yeah. Uh, where I, because I've already started watching videos on how to get better at this. This is how Rocket League began. Mm. Uh, so we'll see if soon enough I go into competitive Smash Online and then get absolutely destroyed and then go down a deep rabbit hole of learning all the things. So we'll see. Yeah, you might become one of those guys at parties that no one wants to play against. So you'll gain some skills, but you lose some friends and that's okay. Well, I can't really afford to lose friends. <laughs> uh, but it is funny. The game, 
automatically baked in has some sort of advancement system. So it's like, hey, this person keeps winning. We're going to start them off with higher damage. And so I was just trying to unlock characters the other day. And uh, I kept winning and I was unlocking characters because I'm playing against the computer. And as I would get better, I would just increase their difficulty. But it got to the point where I was spawning every time with 60% damage. And I was like, this is... This is rough. So I was like, I would wing a bunch, and then I would just lose like four rounds in a row as immediately because I would spawn. They would like hit me one shot or grab me and throw me, and I'd, I'd explode. So uh, point is, if it were to happen at a party, I'd just have to hold on to my controller and mm-hmm. make sure that they knew that, okay, that's the person that keeps winning. We'll make sure that he starts with a ton of damage, and then it might balance out. Or you just do team battles. Team battles are fun. Yeah. Did that with my girlfriend the other day. Mm. It was fun. Uh, anyway, point is, I have a Nintendo Switch, and I'm and excited. I also have a girlfriend. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that's that's uh, still fairly new, even though it feels like it's been a while already. Uh, and yeah, anyway, <laughs> change of pace. Um, the uh, the other cool thing, the <laughs> the new Rocket League season <laughs> is starting soon. Uh, so this is not the like pros season. This is just the game, because for some reason games have seasons now. And uh, this one was really good. Season 5 was really good. It was all space-themed, and I freaking love space stuff. Hmm. So I got a bunch of cool space things, and uh, I wound up in Diamond, which I was in in the last season as well, because I haven't gotten any better, apparently. Uh, But it's still top 12% of players, so that Hmm. made me feel good. Yeah. And... I might, I might have to decide whether I'm going to do another push and actually try to get like a diamond mm. next season because I think it might be time to play with people who are better. But yeah, that'll require actual focus and commitment. I can't have that <laughs> <laughs> to a video game. Then people think you're a loser. Um, yeah, no, no, com- no questions and comments there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have one frustrating thing, because it is supposed to be the cool, interesting, frustrating section. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anything interesting this time. Wow. I know. Uh, life is uninteresting. But it's cool. So that's it good. is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but the frustrating thing, this is related to work, which is the struggle. You mentioned this. The struggle of not knowing what you don't know. And I'm, I've just been feeling that the last couple of weeks, where I'll end the day and I've written, like, I have a PR open with two lines of code changed, and it took me hours of reading documentation and reading source code and running things and seeing what exploded and looking at error logs and trailing logs and just seeing or tailing logs and just seeing what it complains about now waiting for pipelines to run and just being like you know i i think this doesn't have to be this way Mm -hmm. but i have to go through this part where i don't know what's going on and so that's i guess adopting gradually adopting the devops mindset Mm -hmm. Because uh, right now I still have the developer mindset where I can run unit tests and everything tells me immediately what's going on. So. But not in ops. You just suffer enough for long and then people are like, hey, this stupid error is happening. You're going to be like, I solved this one at like 3 a.m. five years ago and it was terrible and traumatic and I remember how to fix this. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, you're a god. And you're like, no, I'm just damaged. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Welcome well, to DevOps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. been warning me. <laughs> it's it's a what? A lot of alcoholism and sadness. Yeah, and complaining. And complaining. So you got that part down already. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. <laughs> Let's. This is why I end with the wholesome recommendation. I see. Uh, instead of starting with it. 
Uh, so the wholesome recommendation for those uh, that one person who may have listened still from the beginning, early episodes I was talking about uh, Redstone videos that I was watching when I was learning about how to build um, logic gates and computers and stuff. In and I was using Minecraft to do that. So I was like reading these um, schematics in the textbook that I borrowed from you, yeah. and then just building them in Redstone in Minecraft and being like, oh cool, I made a you know programmable logic array and I made it by uh, in, plugged it into a binary uh, seven segment display. That's cool. Well, one of the videos that always or one of the channels that always comes up when you search for that sort of thing is a channel called Mumbo Jumbo. Hmm. And if you want, like, wholesome content, family-friendly content, I don't know that there's a more consistent channel for that sort of thing. You can pretty much just pull up any video of his at random. And he's just this, like, British, young British guy Mm -hmm. who just makes really bad jokes and gets really excited Mm -hmm. about everything. Uh, It's sort of like the level of excitement I was getting to about functional programming, but with actually good videos Mm -hmm. and a lot of enthusiasm and an English accent. So... Mm -hmm. Win, win, win. Way better yeah. than my crappy channel. So uh, basically, yeah, that's my, just in general, I'll find a video of his that I think is particularly wholesome, but it's it's pretty easy. Just open up his channel, pick one, it'll be wholesome. All right, that sounds pretty great and yeah, yeah, wholesome. Man. Yeah, man. What about you? What did you find that was cool, interesting, or frustrating? <clears throat> so some cool stuff. I mean, I made these notes a few days ago, so they are still relevant i guess yeah i think i think we might want to mention people always get annoyed when you mention this because people can never hear the difference but you do have a sore throat right now so yes that's uh, true. For, the, for those who are like why does he sound sad or it's, <laughs> yeah it's because he can't really talk yeah yeah so if i start coughing or in the middle i have to like go away from the mic for a little bit um please understand yeah uh hopefully it's not covid and if it is i may not need the booster this might be my immunity there you go um anyways the cool stuff um i remember two weeks ago or something i was sitting in a burger king enjoying my burger king post-workout meal uh, (laughs) (laughs) that i sometimes treat myself with and youtube recommended this video called 100 days in metaverse and it's some some guy, and uh, he spent 100 days in Metaverse, which is like equivalent of like three or four days real world. But for like three to four days, he had the headset on, plugged in. Even when he went to the bathroom, he had like this little like studio bachelor apartment. And you can like start seeing him contemplate life like in like the first five hours or so. And uh, he pushes through, he, he delivers. Um, and uh, it's just... I found it, like, really funny in some parts, and then some parts I was just like, oh, this is just really, really sad. Um, and the guy seems very self-aware of everything he's doing. He's just like, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to have a better social rating than Mark Zuckerberg in there. And he achieved that in three days. <laughs> uh, through a big party, uh, had the whole dance thing, and he actually met up with his best friend in VR that he made over, like, the three days in real world. Uh, and it was very wholesome. Mm. So... This is a cool slash wholesome recommendation, wow, wow, wow. Um, which I which I thoroughly enjoyed because I just don't spend time on YouTube anymore. So when I did, it was fun. Uh, uh, a cool tech thing. Um, here to pitch more AWS specific things Whoa. that I'm learning as I'm le- doing more course is uh, one of the 
things I always ran into is whenever you create a new AWS account, uh, they have their defaults. So like you can't create more than five VPCs or a limit on KMS keys and all that nonsense. And you have to always open a ticket with support, get it increased, and then you can do that. Apparently there's a CLI for it. You could just automate that process as part of your pipeline or whatever. And anytime you open up a new account, run that script, it'll, they have certain defaults of if it's within this limit, it gets auto approved immediately. And if it's not, it'll open a support ticket on your behalf that some human will look at and get it done. Which I thought was really cool because everybody hates typing support emails and just be like, oh, can you increase my limit on this and click on like six different drop downs? Just do this. Just run a little CLI command. Boom, you're done. Go home. Hmm. Where do you find that? Um, I don't know. It's, I'm sure there's a documentation. Okay, just <laughs> I, Google it. I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I found it because I was looking into increasing a bunch of limits. Mm-hmm. And within AWS, we have internal tools to do that. But not all of them have the best support, and some of them just haven't been updated. Because in an internal tooling company, things get out, like legacy, become very, very quick. They're just like, oh, this tool's no good. Use this new one. And they like keep pointing you towards the chain of tooling. And some guy was just like, just use the tools that's available to our customers. And then you don't have to worry about this because that'll actually be supported forever. And I was like, cool, this sounds great. (laughs) Um, And the other thing I learned was uh, systems manager and tagging resources and such where uh, so far I've always just made sure I tag things as I create them. Uh, But it seems like if you are not a person who did that before, you can use systems manager and it has like based on certain criteria you can just like go through a bunch of drag down drop downs and such and just tag them separately but at least you have a unified area to go tag all your resources instead of dropping down to ec2 elb everything else um so i thought that was pretty pretty cool uh for people who want to adopt tagging now um and just just as a side note just tag your resources Whatever, it, even if it seems irrelevant, it's a little metadata that's not going to hurt anything and it might make your life easier later on. Um, so those were the tech cool things. Non-tech cool things. Okay. I've been playing a lot of Prey. Yeah, boy. <laughs> so much. It's uh, it's becoming slightly unhealthy because I'll be like standing in front of my couch and just playing because I had a slight back injury and I couldn't lay down or sit down very much. And I was like, well... I could just play a video game. And then I realized that was like eight hours on a Sunday before I was like, mm, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been, but that's been fun. It Every time you're like, oh, this is too OP, you find out something that's even more OP than that. <laughs> and the only way to get through the game is to just start start just making those updates, make, get those upgrades. And um, very later on, I learned that you can run away from most situations. Um which I, I would have loved to know earlier, but I was too afraid. Uh, <clears throat> so that was, that's been really cool. And then finally, I've been watching Stranger Things, uh, which is also cool. The music and such is nice. Um, the dialogues are pretty decent and the characters are mostly well-written. Um, but it, it flows really well. You're like watching and you're like engaged and story threads together itself very well. It's not like, something will be explored in or explained in one episode and you're like, oh, I have to wait until the next episode to like sort of just get more context around it. They're like, no, no, we'll wrap it up and then we'll start a new continuation to this in the next episode. So that's been really cool. And uh, that's all of my wholesome, cool 
Mm. Recommendations. Well, to build off of a comment on writing, mm. my aforementioned girlfriend and I watched Jurassic Park 2 mm-hmm. the other day because as of right now, this is the last day that you can watch it on Netflix and then they're removing all the Jurassic Parks and Jurassic Worlds from Netflix. So she was like, we should watch it. And the first one, we watched it. It was good. Mm. The second one, we watched it, and it was very bad. Uh, I hadn't seen it before. And so, yeah, we're a good 45 minutes in. And I look at her, and I'm like, nothing has happened in this movie yet. <laughs> and uh, she just comments on one of the characters. She goes, that character's pretty annoying, eh? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. So mm-hmm. if you, too, were thinking, oh, I, I, I've seen the original Jurassic Park. I didn't see the sequel. Don't bother. I've heard the. Th- she was told by her mother that the third one's even worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, don't bother with the second unless it's kind of one of those like you're gonna hang out, watch a bad movie, and laugh about it, which is more or less what we wound up doing. Mm-hmm. But we still took breaks. It was like 45 minutes in, we took a break after an hour in, walked around a little bit, and then came back. We're like, all right, we're gonna finish this because <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not the move. And the other thing you mentioned. Praise a great game. Those who have listened to previous episodes will know that I played it way too much mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years. So I, I've been very happy <laughs> that you've been enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... It, it took me a while to get used to it just because it's so... The music and the enemies are way too OP in the first little while. You show up and if you're not careful, they'll just kill you. And you have to restart from the last load and it's really annoying and they they run all over the place and they're too quick and they're too scary um but once you get enough weapons and ability to raise the dead uh (laughs) the game's just so easy so so nice yeah yeah Yeah, you're almost at the last stage so i'm excited for it there's one more phase left in the game that part i'm kind of annoyed by where i'm like okay now that everything's easy and i'm getting really good the game's about to end the first, even the first five hours, if I had gotten all the abilities I have now, the rest 15 hours would have been a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm just like, oh. Yeah. Well, I warned you already about the difficulty spike. That's true. I said, hey, don't do this thing unless you're ready to, unless you're ready to wrap up all the other missions because they will be more difficult. Mm-hmm. So being slightly OP will be good for the last little bit. But this is not the, as much as I would like it to be, the Do Better video game podcast where I talk about sure. Rocket League, Smash Brothers, and Prey. Mm-hmm. It is, in fact, a development show. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to talk about dev tools. Or in this case, now that I am uh, drinking the sadness that is DevOps, mm-hmm. and you've been uh, born in it, crafted by it, for years, we're back to do another round about infrastructure as code. Yeah. Uh, quite frankly, we don't remember exactly what we said in the previous time we talked about infrastructure as code, but we know it wasn't quite this. Yeah. So this time, we're going to talk about some specific tooling that I've been using and that you're familiar with, because those are mutually exclusive, uh, things that you can do to orchestrate your uh, infrastructure as code deployments, managing your resources in different cloud uh, platforms, and the pros and cons of each. Mm-hmm. So... Since you have more knowledge and breadth, could you start out and then I'll jump in with the one tool that everybody's heard me complain about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'll do some like overview. Sure. Uh, so 
for anyone who doesn't have a lot of context, we have all sorts of cloud providers, AWS, GCP, Azure, whatnot. And uh, you can go to them and essentially say, can you give me a server or can you give me a hard drive or can you give me a million of them? <laughs> depending on how much money you have because these days cloud just seems like an infinite resource and if for whatever reason you need to scale more than the actual cloud providers maybe you just open up your own cloud providers um, that's what Google did and Microsoft uh, but uh, creating these resources takes a lot of time takes a lot of effort and with our with the whole 12 factor methodology and the the world just wanting to start from scratch and destroy things and be more agile and whatnot. Um, infrastructure as code is very important. You want to make sure all your AC2 instances, whatever services, whatever tags, they're documented somewhere because the last long bearded guy who set this all up has went on to vacation because he hated DevOps so much. And now you're stuck and you don't know how to create any of it and you don't know what else is already created. And if you delete one wrong Route 53 entry, your entire service goes down and you're stuck. So <laughs> be very, very careful. And uh, to avoid some of those human errors, we have tooling. We have lots of YAML doctors and JSON manifests lying around. Uh, some of it is generated by code. Some of it is static configuration that you write by hand. But at the end, all of these are meant to just say to the cloud provider, hey, Give me X, Y, and Z in the order that I asked and just spawn this all for me. Right. Yeah. So to say it explicitly, it's code that defines what your infrastructure should look like. So you exactly. mentioned tagging, which is something that you mentioned at the beginning of the show mm -hmm. today. Uh, but just in general, like <clears throat> give me this EC2 instance, you'll see that defined somewhere in the code. And then someone who looks at the code can see, oh, okay, we're asking AWS to spawn us this many instance EC2 instances, they're gonna be of this size. And that way you and AWS essentially can look at the same source of truth mm -hmm. and say, yes, that's what we want. Other developers don't have to go and prune through the console or the CLI or whatever, trying to figure it out. Because mm -hmm. if you are doing uh, proper like GitOps or a CI CD, where it is actually going through the pipelines and is running what you defined in your code, then the code is essentially the infrastructure that's there. You don't need to look at the infrastructure. And uh, DevOps people can be happy because they can lock out all the devs. And uh, they like doing that, I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the whole point of DevOps is to bridge that gap. And people just like making that gap more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so real DevOps is just one person who knows both <laughs> and lets no one else touch. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. It's, it's meant to be a bridge, but it's more like a drawbridge. They yeah. just, <laughs> just pull it up and never put it back down. Yeah. Yeah, you might get access here and there. You might get special treatment, but gotta be gotta be really like nice with the DevOps people. Buy them a beer or something. Yeah, they love beer. Yeah, most of them at least. Mm -hmm. Or whiskey. Or mm, they do like that. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, any of these toolings, and just make sure you maintain those. And we're gonna talk about different tools and how you can manage those. Given that both are expertise or experience has just been in AWS. A lot of the terms we'll be using will be AWS specific and some of the tooling as well. But the principles to take from these could be applied to any cloud providers. Um, and uh, yeah, just get good. Indeed. So do you have a proposed format again? Um, yeah, I mean, we could do one and one. So 
I, you've worked more with Terraform and Pulumi than I have. I've worked uh, with CloudFormation and CDK. Okay. Uh, and then we could do one-on-one. I can start with CloudFormation, and then you could tell us more about Terraform. We'll save Pulumi for the last, because I think that'll be... Sure, I know almost nothing about Terraform. Oh, okay. Yeah, Pulumi just wraps Terraform, so I've read a lot of Terraform docs. That's all in, order, in order to learn what Pulumi does. <laughs> so that's been great. Mm. But yeah. We love layers. Yeah, abstractions that are meant to solve your problems definitely need another abstraction on top mm. of it. If that doesn't indicate how I feel about this already. Uh, but wait, there's more. Yeah, there is more. Uh, so just a very like high level thing that I'll mention very quickly, the big difference between some of these toolings. So there's a, the format here is basically, we'll talk about CloudFormation and Terraform, they interact with the AWS uh, environment in their own different ways. And then CDK, which is a layer on top of CloudFormation, and then Pulumi, which is a layer on top of Terraform. Sounds good. Nice little stack version. And then the big difference between CloudFormation and Terraform, since they're the lower level entities, is CloudFormation is built inside AWS, and whatever templates you tell it, it goes behind the scenes, executes all of these instructions through whatever the APIs that are built for it. Terraform, on the other end, you give it a bunch of instructions and it uses the AWS public SDK and just runs a bunch of SDK commands through the CLI. Some of them will give you better or worse performance based on what you're using. I've seen on average the SDK commands run much faster than CloudFormation because it's doing its whole bunch of things behind the scenes. Um, But realistically, infrastructure as code, the speed shouldn't matter all that much. It's it shouldn't matter if you can spin up your EC2 instances when you have to recreate your stack within a five minute or a 10 minute break. Um, it, the focus should be, can it be stood up reliably and be maintained by other people around you? Yeah. Um, so to have that as a focus, CloudFormation, um, when it came out, whatever years ago, everyone lost their crap. It was so good. It was, everyone was tired of writing SDK calls. Terraform was trying to solve that problem. And then AWS is like, we do have like too many services and it is pretty hard to maintain and manage all of it. Here's a bunch of YAML or JSON. Everyone's been using Docker lately. Everyone loves YAML JSON to write up all their markups. Here's here's a tool, write whatever you want, uh, upload it into our little S3 and we'll even draw a little diagram for you describing how everything's attached to each other and we'll deploy it. We'll do all the work of actually provisioning the resources so long you define it properly. And people loved it until more complex structures started coming. Um, it's incredibly hard to have a massive JSON file that refers to other JSON files and it's all static and nothing changes. And it's just impossible to debug and more impossible to make any changes without having to worry about, oh, now how is it gonna update the stack? Am I affecting any child resources? How do I unit test this? You can't unit test a static file. Um, it's, uh, it was, it had all of these problems and uh, we'll, we'll address how they tried to start working on those. But the problem it was trying to solve was no, no longer should people have to write their own utilities or make a bunch of AWS SDK HTTP calls. Use CloudFormation, it'll parallelize whatever resource creation it knows how to do in parallel. It'll tag your things. It will, at first it didn't have any drift detection, now it does. And 
that has made it a really powerful tool because most things now that work on AWS for any uh, infrastructure maintenance, they all use CloudFormation under the hood mm -hmm. because it has such a nice little hook, very powerful. And um, yeah, that's a, I think, good overview of what CloudFormation is. Yeah, if you ever want a quick dose of imposter syndrome, just pull up a CloudFormation template and the ones that are, especially if they're generated by AWS under the hood, someone didn't write them. You're going to be like, why is there so much code here? Like, why is there so much YAML in this case? Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea what most of this is. I can't tell how it relates to each other. There's so much going on. Uh, I need to quit my job because I'm clearly never going to understand this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that kind of indicates where the limits are. Like, it's... In, it's one of those things that it's exactly what you needed in theory. And then in practice, at some point, you're just like, it's no longer practical to do this. Like, it was difficult to do the other stuff. And this is better to a point. Yeah. And that's where the abstractions will come in. But, uh, yeah, I've, again, actually, ironically, I the only time I remember using CloudFormation directly was when I was playing around with spinning up a Minecraft server. Uh, so it's come up a couple times now in the show. Hmm. Uh, and it was cool because somebody else wrote it for me. And then I just walked through it, but it was really short. And it basically said, like, yeah, like, pull this image, spin up this EC2 instance, use this um, uh, spending policy. And uh, basically, because I didn't need it to always be there, it was a, um, I forget if it was on demand or spot, but one of the two. But it was like, yeah, just tear it down whenever you want. I don't care. I'll tear it down later when I'm not using it. Stand, put on standby something and you could look at it and see it was very straightforward and the cool part was that i just say you know start stack and it would spin it up and then I'd be like okay tear down stack and it would tear it down and that was when i was first like oh this is going to be great and then i tried to write them myself and didn't know enough and failed horribly and went this is impossible i'm never doing this and went back to writing rest apis Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and two years later, three, two and a half years later, mm -hmm. here I am uh, <laughs> trying to do it myself again. Yeah. Writing abstractions and mm -hmm. using Terraform. Tell us more about Terraform. Sure. So I've only seen a little bit of Terraform. It all just kind of looks to me like a lot of structs because they essentially, I think, have their own DSL. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're defining resources. I believe, they, if I remember correctly, they're like big claim to fame is being able to do it cross-platform. Uh, so in other words, you're not, <clears throat> it's not like CloudFormation, which is AWS's offering. It is a way of defining a cloud resource, but you could choose to define a cloud resource in AWS, or you could choose to define a similar cloud, cloud resource or a completely different cloud resource in GCP or Azure or whatever. Uh, but to get the sense of how we feel about that refer to the last episode yeah. <laughs> uh, where I laughed uproariously <laughs> for a good 30 seconds uh, upon Gans claim that nobody's cross cloud and don't worry about it if you think you do you don't uh, it's fake news and that's currently how I feel about it yeah. um, but in theory another in theory one uh, it's good and so yeah it does provide the abstractions it kind of allows you to represent something more like uh, a code it's sort of that, that bridge between, it's not straight YAML, but because it gives a DSL, it's still not just code, which is where something like Plumi will come in, where it's like, you know you know how to code, uh, just write the same code you've been writing and we'll wrap Terraform for you. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, I don't have too much to say about it because, again, when Terraform was being used uh, everywhere, uh, I was a lowly junior dev mm -hmm. and had no idea what was going on. I was certainly not touching Terraform. And I wanted to use Terraform at my current company because they'd already used Terraform and was told, no, uh, we're using Pulumi and that's how I'm here. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just skipped that. And now I just read Terraform docs in order to understand Pulumi. Yeah. Always looking at the source of the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still better. <laughs> the amount of times I've had to read Golang tests, unit tests, in order to understand what attributes are available on which objects and things. I'm just like, why? Why is it like this? People need to document their stuff if it's open source and they expect us to pay for it. I think that's where they just drop the ball. They're like, it's open source. They can read the code. Right, right. <laughs> that was my like biggest complaint and slight happiness for using anything... Um, Python when I moved over from C++ and Java world where I was like, oh, this is all just compiled libraries. It's impossible to find what's being called. And Python, you just go through PyCharm command clicking your way through libraries and it's like, oh, I see exactly what they're doing here. And it's it seems to be pretty common for everyone to just throw all their documentation in Python into the doc strings. So mm. oftentimes at least you'll find better documentation in the code itself than the readme. It's like, you look at the readme, it's not even right. Uh, it's out of date, it's whatever. But you go to the code, you can look at the code, and you can look at what they say the code does right above it. Mm -hmm. Convenient. Um, I don't know what it's like in Terraform, but... Yeah, I never... Uh, all I know is Terraform has their own file extensions, .tr or something, uh, because they have their own little DSL way of defining things. And one of the things I thought was kind of still useless was <clears throat> the fact that there's similar constructs and you're in the same environment but if you need to define like an ec2 resource you do from terraform aws or something so you're still like getting specific cloud provider libraries to hook in things but i think the benefit is you can say all right tags xyz nz anything that's common between if you are going cross cloud um, you have all of the common areas in the same place. Maybe it's the same billing department. Maybe it's the same production things. And then when you are defining your resources, you can say, okay, from AWS SDK, get this. From GCP SDK, whatever, get this. And maybe Terraform does those on parallels and whatnot. Then again, this is not the cross-cloud platform show, and <laughs> don't do it. Just, if you think you are at the level where you need to use cross-cloud, you're probably not listening to this episode. Correct, uh, yeah. If you're listening for laughs um, and you think cross-cloud is all you need because you are a Netflix CTO, um, my LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> is open and hit me up, slide in my DMs. There you go. Uh, <laughs> gotta use the platform for something, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, but the, the, I, the big difference I do want to highlight again is the fact that um, Terraform is using the public SDK calls, uh, and the way the whatever slight difference you get between performance in CloudFormation and Terraform is the fact that anytime anytime you execute anything in CloudFormation, it's all being executed through some sort of queuing mechanism, whatever language gets translated in whatever API calls on the AWS's end, and when you do stuff like that through the AWS, now that I have some visibility into it, they have to go through a lot of different checks and a lot of security protocols because anytime you access anything in a customer account, 
we have to be held to the highest level of standards and all these configurations. But when you make any SDK calls, it's very much like, oh, I'm straight up authorizing this to happen right now. And so that uses whatever the customer session is and no background services have to do anything or not as much as any orchestration. So things happen faster, things happen quicker, things happen as you can see them happening. Um, but you also then are stuck for maintaining your own state of how your stack is. So if the Terraform execution fails halfway through, um, you are in charge of now figuring out what needs to get cleaned up, what not, what is in a half-baked state, and if it needs to like get cleaned up properly. Whereas on CloudFormation, if it's half of it failed, you can check a little box that just says, clean up anything that was created successfully, I'll start from scratch. And it'll just go in and be like, oh, I know exactly what I did. And just do the whole thing for you. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. It's so nice. It, that And it has a little stack. It also has like prevent auto rollback. So it'll say, okay, I failed half of these resources, but I've kept the state they were in. So if you wanted to like go look at the CloudWatch logs or whatever, you can do that. You can figure out your debugging and then you can go back and say, okay, I'm removing the termination protection. Now go clean this up. This is what happens every time <clears throat> I learn about or talk about CloudFormation. Mm is I get sold on it again, <laughs> and then I go to try to use it, and I fail miserably. <laughs> it's exactly what I want. Oh, man. Well, let me tell you about CDK then. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I can't wait. So people were using CloudFormation. People were like, this is too hard, and I hate it, and I have imposter syndrome. I and relate to that now, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I have real-life data now i just heard this guy talk about this on a podcast yeah it's recorded <laughs> and uh, and they said okay we want to unit test these things our infrastructure as code is not as dynamic as we would like and they still have to write libraries around all these cloud formation templates where they are trying to generate yaml or json on the fly and so they're like hey aws could you like help a brother out and so after many many months and it's still under mostly under like it's getting development and changes very quickly um, but the cdk team is excellent um as even a person on the inside getting some look at them they they are good they know what they're doing they have thought things out very well and they are really trying to make everyone say okay don't use cloud formation we get it we'll deal with it you use our service uh, and I can't wait for whatever the next service that comes out that wraps CDK. Yeah. But because it's all managed by AWS on its own, you don't have to deal with any of it. It's not open source yeah. worrying. It's funded by a corporate company that wants you to use their products. So they'll try to provide the best experience because apparently they're obsessed with their customers. Uh, so I've heard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the CDK difference is you can write it in. I think so far they support four. I think it's like... Ruby, actually, no, wait, let me take that back. I don't know if it's Ruby. There's some other language that starts with an R. I don't think it's Rust. Uh, but they use, I know for sure they use Java, TypeScript, and two other languages that I just can't remember right now. Okay. Uh, I think there's Go, uh, but another one I can't remember. But the, the point is you can dynamically generate all these JSON files and code. Uh, you use your TypeScript constructs. I've been using TypeScript just because any update that happens comes to it the first. Mm -hmm. And it really seems like, for whatever reason, I've stopped fighting against it. A full stack person is apparently 
someone just well versed in TypeScript. You can write back end in TypeScript, you can write front end in TypeScript, and now you can write your infrastructure in TypeScript. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> Um, but the way they've defined it is they have these like L1, L2, L3 constructs, which just on a high level is you can go to AWS or you can use CDK and say, I want a security group. That's a L1 construct of what's the most basic unit you can have. Or you can go as an L2 construct and be like, give me a ECI repo or like an ECS container where you can define the image, you can define the container availability and it'll do that. Or there's like level three ones where it's, give me basically a hello world stack and it'll spin up the EC2 instance and everything for you behind the scenes in a cloud formation stack. Um, another fun things about it is all these are now type checked or whatever the code is. The code first gets compiled before it generates the JSON. So what that means is in your testing, you don't have to mock or stop a bunch of things. You can just say, okay, I defined all these things and I put these dependencies. So you can just say, the moment your whatever function is done, your CloudFormation template object will have a dependency on object X or Y. You want to make sure your VPC is up and running before your EC2 instance gets spun up. You can define those dependencies without having to link it in different things. And since these are dynamic objects, you can have just your like one class file of VPC and then everything else just says whatever VPC I depend on dot VPC ID as opposed to copy pasting your VPCs all over the place. And you can define the name and such, but a lot of it gets auto-generated for you behind the scenes so you don't have to worry about it. Just look at your code, don't worry about duplicate keys so long you've named everything right. There's a separate tagging construct that you can run on like absolute deployment stack levels where in a singular deployment stack you could have, I don't know, like five EC2 instances, one ELB, one security group, all defined through code nice and neat with IAM roles, everything, all all of it in one place. And you can just test that entire deployment stack uh, in unit tests and such. Unfortunately, I don't think you can technically really like write functional tests and such, because I don't know if you would want to spin up an entire stack to run tests against and be like, oh, it's stack exists, and then delete it. Uh, that sounds like a very expensive way to run your CI um, and just way more time taking, but at least now you can make sure whatever you expect to write in code, you can test. And anytime someone goes ahead and says, oh, now instead of five, we could have a maximum of 10, your unit test for the price limit might fail and you could be happy and look at that kind mm. of stuff. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I've sold it enough yet, but that's been my experience so far where it's just, after writing a lot of CloudFormation templates, I just, I took a CloudFormation template that was like, I don't even know, like about 1500 lines long or something. And in CDK, that was like maybe like 100 lines, 100, 200 lines or so. Of TypeScript, of which, TypeScript. Is, which is fairly verbose. Yep. Um, so I was pretty happy about it uh, because to be fair, the 1500 or whatever file was a lot of duplication of IAM roles and such. But because I'm writing it in TypeScript, I can say, grouping of this I am role type policy and then I can just like assign that to multiple things and then now if any of the one changes I can make sure it gets replicated to everything else and um, yeah it's just really cool does it still do 
like automatic rollback and cleanup stuff like all of it and you can define those policies in the code as well so you don't have to do those on the ui if you don't want to you know what this this feels like to me <laughs> this feels like people saying we don't reg assembly anymore mm, yeah because that's gross yeah here's nobody c. here's c <laughs> and now we have okay we don't want to write cloud formation that's too hard mm-hmm. here's cdk and i'm sitting here going like are you for real? Uh, I don't have to worry about managing my uh, memory anymore. I don't have to tell you what's going in each register. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yeah, dude. I mean, you still have to manage your memory, but you don't have to point to each register. I'll be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to write your go-to or jump statements. Yeah. You just have to be like malloc and whatever you're cleaning up <laughs> or freeing up memory, and it's good. Oh, man. Okay, so caveat. The caveat being, right? Mm. Because that sounds like exactly what I want, and I want to go do that right now, mm-hmm. uh, this moment, as opposed to everything I've had to do the last two months. Mm. The caveat being that that is AWS specific. Yes. So, if anybody else has a team that's demanding that they use something that is cross-cloud, uh, you can't use that then. Um, at least not for other clouds, you which cannot. means you would need a separate... Uh, which is still probably better, honestly. Just have yeah. a separate directory in your Google, GCP. Yeah. Uh, and then all those things you need that are cross-cloud that you don't actually need and will never fill up can go in that empty uh, directory. Yeah, and I would expect you to have different CI pipelines for different cloud platforms that you're deploying to, which means separate code bases. Right? Probably. Yeah. Oh, I've never been more convinced of something <laughs> in my life. Okay, all right. Uh yeah, this is just a bias confirmation podcast. Oh That's my god! Is. Yeah, so yeah, think although, about how great that was. Everything you just described, mm-hmm. and I'm going to describe the competition, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't like. Mm. I will mention some caveats because I think I've sold it too much. Uh, it's just the CDK documentation because right now they're going from whatever one point that was to a two point major version that they're trying to push through you could get lost in the documentation here and there. And it is also sometimes confusing when you're looking at an L1 construct on an old library, which is exactly the same in the new one because they're all lower level abstractions. Mm-hmm. The documentation will be <clears> like, this might not be most up to date. Go look at this other documentation and you pour it over and you're like, this is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. So for someone that might get confusing, uh, if you just don't already know what a, entire VPC peering looks from end to end because you have been in that UI tens of times trying to create all your subnets and nonsense and such. Um, so for little things like that, it is confusing. And for and the documentation itself doesn't define the L1, L2, L3 construct separate very, very well. So you have to sort of know of, okay, let me read through enough. Let me see if there's higher level things here. Because uh, if not, you might end up stitching an entire like Lambda with your own instances and such before you check out something that says, oh, I probably could have used a L3 construct and just stitched all of these things together. Maybe mm-hmm. created like a user in the role and policy all at the same time as opposed to individually create them and then stitch them up together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the documentation I find is a slightly questionable here and there, uh, but the, the promise is the promised land is beautiful. Uh, and just having to switch over the mental context from just reading giant files and writing bash scripts to automate some of that YAML and JSON templatization based on environment variables. 
I love CDK. It's so nice because I can have all of that in the code and environment variables and such get read by a language, not bash. And you've been doing this DevOps thing for a while, so you should hate everything. I, I do. And so the fact that you don't hate mm -hmm. CDK is a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't have anything better. Right. But I did hate CloudFormation even when I didn't have anything better. Mm. So so that's a good sign. Yeah. Sure. So the alternative, a alternative. Mm -hmm. Pulumi. Uh, yeah, Pulumi. So there are other things. There's like um, Crossplane or something like that. Does something similar. Mm. Uh, anyway, the, the promise of Pulumi, right, is... You can write in whatever language you currently write the rest of your development code in. So, for example, TypeScript is their first class support. So, everything goes to TypeScript first. Mm. Uh, there's Go, there's Python. I know those ones for sure. I don't remember what the other ones are. Uh, but those are the ones that I've had to look at because Python is the one that my team chose to use before I showed up. And TypeScript is the one that has all the actual documentation. And Go is the one that half the time I wish we were using until I remembered that TypeScript's the one that has the support, mm. not Go. So those are the three I've looked at. And anyway, their whole idea is write for any cloud provider you want and use whatever language you're already using. So they're just trying to support standard languages that people use. And so in other words, instead of writing a DSL like I would for Terraform if I were using Terraform, instead I write uh, Python classes and invoke my uh, resource definitions in my Python code, export it all to a main file, and ship that up to Pulumi's state, and Pulumi then applies that state to AWS. Mm -hmm. So in my case, because I'm using AWS, yeah. but it would be to whatever platform we're using. But again, like you mentioned, it's import Pulumi underscore AWS as AWS, AWS.ec2. Like, it's not like I'm saying um, server yeah. or something generic. Yeah, cloud.linux box. And then it's filling yeah. in the, the resources. It's not like I'm saying uh, some generic word for like a Lambda or a cloud function. Like, if I wanted to do, if I wanted to move from uh, Lambdas in AWS to cloud functions in GCP, it's not like I can use the same code. I have to go read whatever their definitions are. And the definitions are essentially just the exact stuff you would punch into a YAML file, mm -hmm. except they abstract some of the things away with help like normal defaults. But honestly, if you go to the console and just pull up the UI for like create new whatever, the defaults are whatever they've already populated in like if if you're looking at the options in the UI and it's like, all right, expand this optional thing. I'm going to do advanced options or whatever. Or uh, they're saying like, hey, this is your default VPC. We'll choose that one. Like those are the defaults you get if you don't define them in Pulumi. It's not like mm -hmm. Pulumi knows anything better than AWS. So it's the same as defining it in the console, except it's defining code. So it's not like it's doing anything special there. The one time where I've... <clears> or <throat> the one place I found something useful with Pulumi that really does stand out is when you're when I had to define new EKS clusters, it defines a crap ton of resources behind that EKS cluster, mm. which has been useful, uh, except that it didn't work. Um, so the thing about a new company is they probably don't spend a lot of time documenting their things. 
So everything is pretty much a hello world example, and there's mm. nothing beyond that. It's like, how do you find EKS cluster? You call, you import the library, you pass in the three minimal things you need. Now you have an EKS cluster. I'm like, how do I connect to it? We don't know. We're not going to tell you. Uh, look at the docs. You look at the API docs that say everything that you can pass in. You click on the links. They're broken. They don't work. So you can't find that. So you end up reading Terraform templates because you read at the bottom, this wraps Terraform's whatever. And you're like, guess I'll find out what Terraform calls it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been fairly painful. But the main pain point has been the fact that it can't clean itself up. Uh. It fails to create one thing <laughs> and it doesn't trust anything. So it, it, what it allows you to do, I should explain the breakdown of how Plumi works. Because it does, if you really knew how to do it perfectly first try, mm -hmm. it's pretty nice once it's working because, yeah, you can spin up your stack, you can tear it down, you can do whatever you want. So like that ability to spin something up and tear it down quickly has been very satisfying. But the iterative process is not very good right now. So mm. the way that Pulumi works is there is a default Pulumi backend, which you can use. It's like their SaaS offering, essentially. You have all of your uh, AWS credentials, in my case, on your host machine or in defined in your CI pipeline, yeah. CD pipeline. So all that the Pulumi CLI does is it checks where it's running for credentials and then checks Pulumi's backend for the declared state. And so your program uploads its declared state to the Pulumi backend. The CLI checks the backend state, uses the credentials to contact AWS, mm. compares the state of that it believes AWS is in mm -hmm. uh, to the state that it thinks it should be in, and then applies that change. So there's some things like refresh, where it allows you to say, like, I know about these resources, pull the current state, so if AWS assigns some default values that Pulumi didn't declare, it will then ingest those and now it knows. Mm. Or if something gets deleted, it will say, hey, that resource was deleted. I can't find it. So it's going to update its state to say it's deleted. And next time you run, it will try to recreate it because it's gone. So that stuff's good. But if you try to define a whole Pulumi program that's supposed to be a full stack and you spin it up and then let's say it created like just because this hits close to homing, EKS cluster, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, a Regis cluster, and then it fails to create something. Like, actually, let's say it creates a Regis cluster, and it on top of that, it created like the, you defined a um, network, I forget what they're called, like a network group or whatever that you need mm -hmm. for the, uh, the Regis cluster, and you've got some security groups around it, you've got these sorts of things, so it created all that, and then it tried to create the EKS cluster, but it tried to create it in one of the um, regions that doesn't have enough on-demand capacity for what your requested resources were. So it just crashes. Mm. It'll just sit there for 30 minutes until it times out, at which point it still says, I don't know what I managed to make. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me. Mm. Which is basically like, why did I even yeah. do this thing at this point? Like, I, I now have to go in, manually delete these things because it won't believe me that it created them. And so you either have to then write code that imports that and then deploy that code, or you just say, all right, forget, just forget about it. Forget everything you deployed. Uh, you can try to basically tear it down. You can say, hey, tear down everything you, you know is there. And it'll tear everything down, except sometimes it doesn't even know whether or not it created something. So it just, just gives up. And it'll just be like, yep, I don't know if I created that, so I can't, I can't try. I'll just not. 
So then you say, all right, ignore that thing you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Tear everything you know about down. So let's say that that works successfully. Sometimes it's wrong. It thinks it made something and it didn't. And then it's oh. like, I can't find that EKS cluster. And I'm like, you didn't make it. <laughs> you tried and you failed. How do you not know this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wound up doing so many t- things where I just had to like, all right, refresh the state to get the actual state, export the state. I'll delete all the things that you say are in progress, push it up again, and now I'll manually go through and find the things that you didn't know that you created and remove them and then try again. And so that that wasted hours of my time. So when you're saying that cloud formation and CDK can do that for me, I'm like, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so again, Pulumi, young company, uh, has has issues. The the promise is there, but you mentioned L one, L two, L three. Yeah. So one of the, basically, I fell into that same trap that you described initially. I was creating my security groups. I was creating everything. My uh, my route table entries, everything was like level one and trying to stitch it all together. Uh, and then I discovered that they had they had like these higher level ones that were sort of like EKS cluster and it would define more things automatically under the hood. So that was good, except that was more or less accidental because I was like, how do I define EKS cluster? Oh, I have to call EKS cluster and it creates some of those things for me, but not everything I need. So I still need to manually create a bunch of uh, IM roles and assign them and policies and that sort of thing. But whatever, that's fine. But they have essentially their, what I would describe as seems to be their L3 offering is called Crosswalk. And it's like these higher level abstractions where you can say something like create a a stack or whatever. The problem is they are a TypeScript first shop and it's only supported in TypeScript. Hmm. So if you're working on a team, probably Talk to the people that have to write this stuff mm-hmm. before you decide on the language and the tooling because we're using the most difficult to use version of Pulumi mm. right now. And that's not, that doesn't lead us to like feeling good about the product. Mm-hmm. So if, a, if you're going to use a tool like CDK, probably use TypeScript if that's what they ship everything to first. Yeah. If you're going to use Pulumi, probably use TypeScript. Like it or not, learning TypeScript will be better for your long-term development with that tool than using Python because you already use Python, but not being able to access any of their new functionality. Most of the documentation's out of date. There's no examples. Some things aren't supported. An entire level, like upper layer, isn't supported by Python. The issue asking for it to be supported has been open since like 2019 or something. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, this doesn't have to be this, this way. Yeah. Uh, and to reiterate, import Pulumi underscore <laughs> AWS as AWS. Mm-hmm. All of my stuff is defined that way. It's not cross-cloud. It supports cross-cloud if I want to import another library and rewrite all my code. But I would sooner rewrite all my code in TypeScript rather than rewrite it all just to move to GCP or just rewrite all my code in CDK yeah. <laughs> with TypeScript. <laughs> So that's, uh, that's my feeling currently. It is still very satisfying when I spin something up and it's now there and it wasn't there before. And I tear it down when it's not working. Like I've been working on this ephemeral, somewhat ephemeral environment for a while. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, we don't need to pay for this over the weekend. I'll just tear it down before I go home. And it doesn't matter because it's an ephemeral environment. And on Monday morning, I spun it back up. Mm. And, you know, it took 20 minutes or whatever because I had to spin up a 
Ragus cluster and a EKS cluster, and those take some time. Yeah. Um, oh, I should mention, it does do a good job, though, building the dependency graph. You sometimes have to tell it explicitly some certain things. So like when I was setting up ingress, um, I defined all the ingress um, Helm charts and things, and then had to export them and then say that, all right, these are dependencies for the application that we're deploying. So we had like our ingress Helm charts and then our application Helm chart. And it kept trying to deploy the application Helm chart and then do whatever stuff it was doing behind the scenes. And it was like, I can't access the cluster. What do I do? Mm. I was like, okay, just depend on the other thing. Now there's no more race condition. Because I kept finding, I'd run it, it would fail. I'd run it again, it would pass. And it was because the ingress yeah. stuff had been spun up at that point and was ready. So I was like, all right, define the things explicitly. But normally it does pretty well. Like if you define a security group and then you define an EKS cluster, or not EKS cluster, a uh, EC2 instance, and then you say like security groups, and then you just pass in the security group dog ID, then it automatically says, all right, create the security group, then create the the instance, and then we'll attach that security group we already created to that instance. So it, it builds the graph fairly intuitively. You don't have to do just a ton of like depends on uh, links or whatever, which mm -hmm. is nice, uh, just the explicit ones. Uh, and they support stacks, which has been pretty good. So the way that it works is you can write a Pulumi program, and then uh, I've chosen, because I've been working on all of this basically by myself, uh, to do stacks as versions of different environments. So it's essentially like we have a dev stack, a staging stack, a demo stack, a production stack. And so it's all the same Pulumi program, but you're passing a different values file. And so you define it with like, it's a palumi.stackname.yaml file, and then that just gets shipped up. So a simple example would be in staging, if you need three instances, but in production you need 10, then you just change your replicas count that you pass in in your config file. And otherwise the program's the same, it just looks up that replica count and maybe provide a default of two or something. Uh, so that has worked fairly well because it is if I want to create an entirely new stack with standard defaults, I can really just do that in like five minutes and then just wait for it to spin up. So that's been good. Um, you mentioned drift detection. Yeah. So this one took a long time to figure out because there's not like a mature version of drift detection. And the issue is with recovery from the drift detection. Mm. So as I described the breakdown, right, you've got your declared state, which is the version of your code that will be generated at runtime. And you have your Pulumi backend state, which is the state that it believes the application or the resources to be in. So it's it's not the version of the state that's generated by your code. It's the version that it thinks it last set the application or the infrastructure code to, uh, resources to. Um, and so drift is any difference between what it thinks the cloud resources look like and what they actually look like. So a simple example, let's say that you define your program, you run it up, and it creates a bunch of resources, and then somebody goes in and adds an environment tag to one of your EC2 instances. It's going to detect that as drift. And so what it would do if you just spun up your program is it's just going to clobber that. It's just going to get rid of it. Hmm. And so if you did a refresh, then it would say, there's a difference. Uh, I don't know what to do about that. And so... What you can basically do is there's this option of 
um, refresh dash dash expect no changes. Or if you're using the GitHub action, you just pass in you know, refresh true, uh, expect no changes true. Mm. And so what that allows you to do is then if it detects changes, like a new tag was added, it will fail. Mm. Um, and so that works one time. Because when refresh run, runs first, it doesn't stage that change anywhere. There's only one place that Pulumi can track the state, which yep. is in the Pulumi backend. Yep. So it pulls in that state. It says, all right, there's a tag on that resource. Next time you run it, it already knows there's a tag on that resource. It's not a change. So it's fine with it. But it's not in the code. It's not in the code. Ah. So what happens then, right? Mm -hmm. First time, let's say that there was a, a new tag added to that resource. And you have drift detection in your CI. It refreshes, pulls that change in, finds that there was a change there, says that change shouldn't be there, fail. Mm -hmm. Developer reruns the pipeline without changing anything. It checks, no changes, good. Merges, runs the CD. When it gets in, clobbers that tag, mm -hmm. it's no longer there. Next developer runs their stuff, it passes, because it already knew, it, ma it updated the declared state without that tag I see. to match the back end. I see. That tag now never existed as far as Plumi's concerned. It mm -hmm. no longer cares. Uh, nobody knows that it was gone because one dev just reran the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> it's tough because there's not a staged file. Like what you would want is not the refresh not to get pulled in yeah. when you are checking with expect no changes, but it does. So there's, there's no way to like revert that. And so what I wound up having to do was basically doing like a constant application of detect no changes on every merge so that then it would basically do like merge deploy. It would like detect no changes and then as immediately after it would be running at CD. And so it's like every time somebody merges, it checks for drift detection unless there's Pulumi changes. So what ends up happening instead is if you've touched any Pulumi program code, it doesn't do drift detection because it won't know the difference. Mm -hmm. If you've manually changed something in the program that it can't tell if that was accidental or not because it just says things are different and I didn't expect them to be. So you just do a preview. And so this, the Pulumi bot will say, these things will change if you merge this. You look at it, you make sure it looks fine. And if it does, you merge it, it pushes those changes up. If nobody touched the Pulumi the code, nothing should have changed. And so it runs drift detection, and if it detects drift, it fails. And nothing in the Pulumi program has changed, so that person gets an error. It's really the best you can do. Next time, if they rerun that, it's still, it's still not gonna detect drift the next time, but there'll be a big Pulumi bot on their PR that says something changed, and then people get confused and they ask me about it. So currently, that's the best we've got. <laughs> I see. Uh, and I'm hoping that they have a better solution. Basically, just don't pull that in mm -hmm. if it fails. But that's the best we have for right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's my rant about the current state of my experience with Pulumi. Uh, TLDR is use TypeScript, uh, don't use Pulumi, and use, uh, don't try to convince yourself that you need to be cross cloud because you don't. And if you do, separate, they're separate concerns. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that is nice, though, is Pulumi outputs. So they allow you to 
basically have like generated things that it won't know until those resources are created be outputs. And then it can automatically plug those into other resources that it hasn't created yet, but will create, or you can export from your program. So the way I have it set up now is one of the outputs, this is in their examples as well, but one of the outputs is the um, kube config for the EC2, or sorry, EKS cluster it creates. And then you can do Plumi output, pipe it into a file, and you'll do like Plumi output kube config, output to a file. Yeah. Now you have the kube config, you do kube config, pass that file in, and K9S, and you're connected to the cluster. So basically, you can run your Plumi up, immediately connect to the cluster, because it just spits it out and says, like, hey, here's how you connect. So it's pretty cool in that respect. Yeah. No, that sounds like a very handy feature. CloudFormation has that. Uh... I'm not surprised. <laughs> yes, Plumi is just mooching off of everybody else's success, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's an outputs tab and you can define as many outputs as you want as values and then you can plug those into other cloud formation templates mm -hmm. um, if you want it or you define a nested stack within a parent cloud formation template and then you can yeah work yeah that. yeah the way I've divided it is in mind we've got the resources um, program which has multiple stacks and then the application which has multiple stacks. So there's two different programs. And so essentially you spin up all the resources, it, which includes the Regis cluster, the EKS cluster, all the security groups, everything. So you've got your resources running there, but no application code running. Mm -hmm. And it spits out the kube config. And so if you want to connect, you can. And then the uh, application code can actually import that output directly from that stack and it, or that program. And it already knows what stack it is. So as long as you name them the same thing, the production stack will check the production stack from the other program, import its kube config, and then you don't have to pass in any environment variables. It just knows, this. oh, this is the cluster that I'm associated with. If you tear everything down and spin it back up, despite the fact that it's a whole new cluster, new kube config, everything, the application code still ingests that and knows where to run, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, no, that's a very logical dependency between the two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your infrastructure different from your code. Infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your infrastructure infrastructure. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah. All right. Uh, what I've learned today is I should go write more TypeScript again and use CDK. Um, I wrote a lot of TypeScript at my last job and I haven't written anything like JavaScript or TypeScript in a while now. Yeah. So. It might take you like one weekend to port all all your Python Polymi code to TypeScript code. Well, honestly, yeah, because what is it going to be like a convert snake case to camel case and you're done? Yeah. Basically, except you <laughs> actually get proper type completion and, and things that like the Python library is doing okay job, but they don't know types as well as TypeScript does. Mm -hmm. So you get you get like attribute completion if you're using an IDE. So it's like type, 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 dot, and it's like, which thing do you want? But it doesn't know what types they are. Yeah. So. Hmm. And VS Code integration for TypeScript, so much better than Python integration. Hmm. Okay. It's like the difference between CDK and Pulumi. It's like that good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, I was joking earlier. This is going to be the episode that we refer to as the one where Nathan lost his job. <laughs> so okay, try not to do that. Everybody knows how I feel though. Uh, yeah. They have like every job I've worked at, it turns out. 
Yeah, and you know, you don't learn about these things until you do them. And then you're like, I shouldn't have. So, yeah. regret. Yeah. But you know what you should do is better. So again. That's true. Unless you have anything else. <laughs> tell me what you did better and will do better on. Um, so my do betters are very small. Because uh, okay. I'm just so good. No. Uh, yeah, you peaked. <laughs> no, this is the year I take it easy. Uh, kind of thanks. I'll first touch on my did betters. Okay. Um, last week, uh, because of my back injury, I had a full like introvert day sort of thing. Stayed by myself, played some video games, played a lot of video games, uh, made some food, relaxed, stretched and such. Um, my gym habit is back to three days a week. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with that just because it seems to work better with my sleep and recovery. Um, and I'm switching teams. So that was something that I did as I did better because I find the just the mutual connection between RDS and I are no longer serving each other to the best. Mm -hmm. So I will be switching teams. And once I have switched the team over, I will announce what the new team is. All right. Um, and uh, lots of prey. Too much prey. Uh, I'm going to continue playing some prey. And <laughs> uh, people. That was the big did better. I wanted to make sure I'm like seeing more people, hanging out with people, um, see how much my introvert battery capacity has changed since COVID. Mm -hmm. um, see, it looks like it drains much less quicker, but because it has just had so much time to generate the charge. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so I can handle more people than I usually could before. And I'm also hanging out mostly with people I do like and are not as drainy. Um, so that's been kind of nice. On my do-betters, I'm going to continue doing that. I want to hang out with more people. But I noticed if I take one day every like two weeks or so of just to myself, uh, I continue liking people. And I want to be around them. So I'm going to try to make a more active effort. It'll realistically end up being like one every three weeks or something. Um, but but that's fine. Because that's the day I will probably finish Stranger Things and other TV shows that I've been watching. And then the final do better that will probably be an ongoing one for a while. Is I'm going to start learning Spanish. Get some Espanol in my... <laughs> uh, vocabulary because I'm going to Mexico most likely sometime this year uh, I have a few months to get at least some basic phrases down and because of where I live it seems like Mexico is the nice cheap place to go more occasionally and if I decide to live in Canada or the west coast for the rest of my life it is probably not a bad idea to learn Spanish and go to Southern America and Mexico and such for some of those nice December months uh, that we get here for minus temperatures. <laughs> uh, and it'll be something new to learn because I'm done learning programming languages. Let's learn some more human languages. Sure. Yeah. What about you? What are you did better dot RIP? Well, freaking Ken, you had to go and get ahead of me on the Spanish thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with my did betters. I've got a lot uh, for this one. So this one I was very excited about. I actually did drive. I, I, I picked up an Evo. It was only for a 17-minute drive, but I, I done did it. And for those wow. who haven't heard, I hate driving. Yeah. I don't like being in a car. I don't like driving in a car. I don't want to be involved in a car. Uh, but I did it, mm. and so that's progress. And everyone's alive? No. Yeah, it was fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. I'm not like a terrible driver. I just really don't like it. Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable in a car. None of that. So anyway, did it. Uh, No more morning alarm. So this is tied to a few different things, but I did manage to just like cold turkey stop using my alarm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've shifted around my schedule a lot and basically tried to keep things flexible. So that was one of the other uh, things I did do better on, which was just focusing a bit less on work and keeping more flexibility in my schedule. And so that will lead into some do-betters where I'm basically like, is this working? I don't know. (laughs) I see. I I booked a haircut. So that was something that I originally had when we were going to record previously uh, and then didn't. I had that as a do-better was like, go get a haircut. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's still get a haircut. But at least I booked it now. I know where it's going to be. Very unlikely that I just bail on my haircut. So I'll go get my haircut, which will be good. I saved up my first ever charitable donation contribution so i have a quarterly goal for this each Mm -hmm. quarter this year um and i've hit mine so far so that's good it's currently just sitting there i'm waiting until i'm done with taxes and everything just so i don't have to worry about like which tax years again or whatever Mm -hmm. like just wait till it's unambiguous for me Mm -hmm. i'll do my taxes get my return and then i'll worry about the rest of that uh so that way all of my charitable donations for this year will just be part of uh, next year's tax season. So, is less, it less to the do better charitable trust? Uh, yeah, we may have to set that up. <laughs> see, part of it will go to me, part of it will go to you, <laughs> and then get my money back from the government. It will be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, was that the rich get richer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> donate Recycle. to myself. Donate to myself. Uh, so yeah, those are the the basic. Oh, so this one's a bit of a weird one. I did stick to my diet like mostly. My goal was to clean up my diet, not specifically when I last recorded to lose any weight. Mm-hmm. But I cleaned up my diet, was eating a bit better, and yeah, I've still like gained weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, my trend weight is just continually going up slightly. And then I thought that seems weird because I've never had this happen before where I've tried to mm-hmm. clean up my diet and gained weight. But then I pulled back to my uh, weight tracking for six months. And I'm almost back up. Like, I'm still a couple kilos lighter than I was before the gyms closed. Mm-hmm. And I, I lost, like, six kilos or something stupid while the gym was closed. Like, I lost a lot of weight. And so uh, I'm like, oh, I'm probably still just regaining mm-hmm. any of some of that along with hopefully not getting too fat. But I basically was less concerned than I originally was because I'm like, why isn't this working? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how it's supposed to work. And sure, we went to all-you-can-eat sushi – and that sort of thing. But over the course of two weeks, that should essentially sort of shake out. Yeah. But uh, I'll be continuing with that in the next two weeks, kind of just trying to stay on top of my diet and not, not be a fatty. Uh, it also did get colder, so that was a bit of a shame because I want to eat more when it's colder and then eat less when it's really hot. So got colder, staying warm, that sort of thing. Uh, I did not do better. Um, so I did not order my blood work. I've essentially just like become too suspicious of inside tracker mm. it just has bad vibes around it like super markety nobody uses it except for people that post affiliate links and i've only heard about it through podcasts i can't find any like actual reviews they i got subscribed to their mailing list and they send out like super like dave asprey level of like insanity where they're just saying like could a pill add a hundred years to your life and i'm like i uh, I don't think i'm gonna go with these guys so i haven't i don't have another one yet that i've figured out 
um, that I should go with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't found another a blood work place or thing yet. I don't know what the things are in Canada that you can do. I don't know how any of this works, but point is I haven't done that, but I really don't feel that bad about it because there was yeah. I had my plan and then I got suspicious and now I'm changing it. Similarly, I said I was going to decide what to do about my phone. Uh, it's pretty much been fine. Like there's a issue in the top corner, uh-huh. but otherwise it's been fine. So I'm just holding off for now and I'll worry about it when I have to worry about it. Mm. So actual do-betters. Holy smokes, I'm taking forever. Uh, I need to get a haircut. I need to schedule a dentist appointment. Um, visit my friends on the island. I have that already sort of planned out. I know when I'm going. Uh, I should call my mom. I was going to call her on Sunday. And then I got distracted and did other things, uh, mostly playing Super Smash Brothers. Uh, <laughs> so I, sh- I should have called her, so I'm going to try to do that. Mm-hmm. I need to take my, do my Spanish lessons more regularly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I have a Spanish girlfriend now. Mm-hmm. And it sure would be handy. A Mexican girlfriend. To understand, yeah, she speaks Spanish and she yeah. is Mexican. She's not Spanish. Well, according to her ancestry in Twenty Three and Me, <laughs> she is mostly Spanish. So oh, I feel okay. I feel okay. justified. I but yes, she is. She's Mexican, speaks Spanish. Is it? Because uh, <laughs> unlike me, who is ninety nine point seven percent straight Euro trash, yeah, uh, which I have now gotten my results finally from Twenty Three and Me after four months. So <laughs> anyway, I need to do Spanish lessons. I'm going to do, planning to do a mix, so I Googled it after getting sick of Duolingo a bunch of times. I was like, all right, what about Spanish? What's the best way to learn Spanish? And somebody suggested Memrise. I started using that a little bit. Um, but what I think I'm going to do with Duolingo is what I was doing before, which was I was trying to learn French by learning Spanish in French. So I was using French as my base language, mm-hmm. and then it would say like, you know, this is a Spanish word, and it means this in French. And I was thinking my brain won't be that, won't go through all the effort of going, okay, Spanish word in French, that French word in English. I was like, you'll probably just stop at French, and then I'll be able to get more confident in my French. That was when I was trying to keep up with my 700-day streaks in Duolingo for no reason. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking if I do that, along with... English to Spanish, and then along with Spanish to French, it just, you know, the pie grows together, and I can hopefully learn something. Uh, plus, when my girlfriend speaks, she'll just teach me random words, and I'll fail to pronounce them, and then she can laugh at me. Yeah, So and you can pronounce it in a French accent. That's right. You can yeah. speak Spanish in a French <laughs> accent. A real <laughs> Canadian boy French <laughs> accent. Yeah, la gordita. La gordita. Yeah. <laughs> be great uh so those are those are my oh also i just this (laughs) i need to just like assess my life and my goals and Mm -hmm. figure out how things are working so that whole like um less focus on work being more flexible with my schedule it feels very uncomfortable and i don't really like it (laughs) but that's because i've never done that i've always just been like when in doubt uh focus on work or go to the gym or sleep Mm -hmm. and now i'm trying to actually do things that you're supposed to do when you enjoy your life yeah um the problem has been that I still don't want to go climbing or go like try Taekwondo in a mask. So I'm waiting on Bonnie to get her act together so I can go do those things. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm like, all right, there's other things you can do in life other than work and sleep yeah. and uh, go to the gym. So I, uh, I'm trying to figure those things out mm-hmm. and essentially assess if I'm freaking out uh, with my lack of focus on those things. Um in a good way or a bad way? Like, is this telling me something useful? 
Or am I just not uncomfortable because I'm not used to it? So got to think about that a little bit and see how things are going. That's that. Damn. Yeah. Enjoying life and questioning because you're enjoying life. Pretty what a, much. What a great problem to have. Right? <laughs> it's a blessed life. <laughs> um, well, thank you, our blessed listeners, for this blessed podcast. In this blessed life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we appreciate you. Yeah, bless you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.